Are you enjoying church this morning? Good, good. We, we've been uh, just having a great time last Sunday. Last Sunday was great Father's Day. Uh, Tim had a great message wrapping everything up, great music as usual. And then, just for Father's Day, the Cavs win the championship. I mean, that was a good day, right? That was good stuff. I mean, wow. All right, so, well, uh, this Sunday, uh, we are starting a new series in Philippians called A Life of Unshakable Joy. And we're, we're really excited about th- this morning. Here's how my morning started. If I came in here, got here a little bit before 7, about 7.30, I hear the deep roar of Harley engines as a bunch of our guys took off from here to go do church in Paulding, uh, which they're doing this morning. And uh, although, you know, I've seen a lot of guys with bikes here. They didn't jump in on that. But hey, next time, there'll be another time. But uh, it looked like they were having, having a fun time. Someday, I'm going to be in that line of motorcycles. I just want you to know that. It's just, it's going to happen. I, I don't know when, but it's going to happen. We're, we're, we're going to launch this new series, Philippians, and as we do that, uh, I, I want to give you a little backstory. but before I go there, I uh, just want to kind of update you on what I've been up to last couple weeks. Uh, I was here last Sunday, but I just got in on Saturday last weekend, and before that, I was on vacation, went out to Colorado, where, where my family's from, and uh, while we were there, my brothers and I, and Chris was with us, Pam, and then also a nephew... We, with my mom, we drove to Western Kansas. Now, I know a lot of you don't go to Western Kansas for your vacation, uh, but Southwestern Kansas, we actually went there because uh, I have two grandfathers that homesteaded in that area, and I'd never really seen where those homesteads were, which we did, which not much to see, I'll just tell you, it's just kind of land, but uh, interesting to me. Um, not really like I pictured it, uh, I always kind of, it, it's dry land, so I wasn't expecting a lot, but, uh, but I thought it was flat, and this is, actually isn't flat. It's all kind of on a hill, and not even, I don't think anybody's ever even cultivated that, that land, or most of it. But uh, we were just kind of walking, that's my brother in the distance, we're kind of walking around there, and that's a Cimarron River, uh, which now is kind of dried up. But uh, we, we were just kind of getting in touch, you know, with the, with the, great-grandfather's side, granddad kind of part of our family. We also found out that uh, one of our relatives, Zach does a lot of research on our relatives, but uh, one time I was out in Pennsylvania, we were looking at somebody's grave who fought in the Revolutionary War and all this stuff, but there in, in uh, Kansas, I found out that one of our relatives ran, uh, raced in, in the uh, Cherokee Strip land race. I don't know if you've ever seen a depiction of that on a movie or something. That's where we're about 100,000 people lined up, yeah, something like this, and then raced for 40,000 different, uh, I think, 160-acre homesteads and, uh, and all that, which was a lot of stuff going on there. But, uh, but, but then afterwards, you know, a lot of them didn't stick. They had to stay there seven years and, and different things, and that would throw that land into relinquishment and everything else. But anyway, kind of cool just to... You know, we all have a story, right? We all came from somewhere, and everyone has a different story about where you came from geographically, where you came from as far as family is concerned. But then, here at Grace, God brings us all together. All different people, 
all different backgrounds, uh, just all different in a whole bunch of different ways. And God kind of mysteriously brings us together to do life together at grace. Now, God draws us, and what I want to see, what I want us to see as we kind of introduce the book of Philippians is that really God draws us in three ways that we're going to see in the first 11 verses. First, and most importantly, God draws us to himself. It's God who initiates, God who draws us to him to become believers. Secondly, God draws us to come together, to meet together in a new community called church. And for example, Grace Community church. He draws us to do life in community, to do life together. And then third, he draws us to continue to grow in our faith as we sort of reprioritize our lives to follow him. And part of that's he keeps us, he he brings us into the family, he he keeps us, our eternal security is based on him. But anyway, I I want you to notice those three things. Now first, God draws us to himself. Before we get to the first verse of Philippians, there's a whole backstory on how this church started, and it's actually recorded for us in Acts chapter 16. Paul is on his second missionary journey to Asia Minor, and this is about this is happening about 20 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. He's on his second journey where he goes town to town sharing people with people the message of the gospel and how they can come into right relationship with God through belief in Jesus. He's doing that and everything's going okay, but then he hits some roadblocks and then he knows that God is leading him to leave Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, and then cross over into Europe, uh, Macedonia, which is modern day Northern Greece. And so they cross over And they go into the principal city, which is called Philippi, which is the capital of Macedonia. And Macedonia was conquered by the Romans. And when they did that, they actually kind of gave this one city, Philippi, special Roman status as a Roman colony. So they got some tax benefits and stuff like that. And they were really proud about that. But most of them were not Roman citizens. It's just what Rome did for them. So they cross over, and this is the first time that Paul's preaching in Europe. It's the first city that he lands in in Europe. And he goes to Philippi, and his ministry there, it starts out great, but then it takes a turn south in a hurry. Here's what happens. He gets to Philippi, and normally he's traveling with a guy named Silas. And typically what they'd do is they go in, they roll into town, and they would find a Jewish synagogue, which happened a lot in Asia Minor. And then that's where they'd start sharing the gospel. They'd kind of start with the Jewish people. But they roll into Philippi, and there's not enough Jewish people or Jewish men there for them to establish a synagogue. So then kind of a Jewish tradition is... If you're in a city without a synagogue, that you would go outside the city on the Sabbath day, a lot of times near an ocean or a lake or or water, in this case a river, and you would kind of just spend your time praying and talking about God. And so Paul and Silas go out to do that on the first Sabbath day that they're there, and they run across some women from the city who are kind of doing the same thing. They run across some women who are being taught by Jewish women 
about the Jewish God, the one true God. And Paul comes across this small group of ladies and he starts sharing with them the message of Jesus Christ. And so they know a little bit about God and they know a little bit about the Old Testament. And then Paul shares with them that, hey, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all that. Really, it's like what Paul's talking about is just what Tim was talking about last Sunday, where there's all this sacrificial system. God created us. He gave us free will so that we wouldn't have to follow him like robots, that we could choose to love God. But along with that choice to love God is a choice to do wrong, and everybody's done wrong. And so there's this way to fix that, and that's through the sacrificial system, but it doesn't last. It's only temporary, but all that points to the coming perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who will shed his blood for the redemption of the world that we can have salvation in Christ through belief. And so he does all that, and sure enough, some of these ladies become believers, there's actually a principal, uh, one of the ladies there is a lady named Lydia. Uh, she's a single lady. We don't know if she's widowed or divorced or, or what her story was. But we, what we know about her is she's a merchant in, in purple cloth. And, and she's not from Philippi. She's actually from Asia Minor and back east. And so she's come out here and she's very successful. She's one of the first converts in Philippi. And then she, because she's a woman of means... She apparently has a spacious house. She invites Paul and Silas to, to stay with her. She boards them and hosts the church that starts there in Philippi. So at the beginning, everything's great. But then what happens is as Paul and Silas are going to and fro in the city, sharing, people, sharing with people about Christ, there's this uh, slave girl that's demon-possessed, and her owners make money off of her telling Fortune. So she's a fortune teller, um, and uh, she keeps following Paul and Silas, and she's kind of manic, and she's screaming out constantly, these are the servants of the Most High God showing you the way of salvation. And she just screams this day after day after day. And Paul kind of gets tired of it. I don't know if he maybe thinks that this unsaved Demon-possessed slave girl's not the best spokesperson for Christianity or whatever. But he, you know, he, he gets tired of it after a few days. And he turns to her and he casts the demon out of her. Well, all of a sudden, she loses the entire freaky, mystical, fortune teller vibe. That's gone. And so her owners are like, whoa, we're not going to be able to make money on her anymore. So they're ticked off. So they grab Paul and Silas, and this is where things kind of turn south. They, they drag them in front of the authorities in Philippi. They trump up some charges. Hey, these guys are doing this new stuff. We, we need to deal with this. They, the authorities decide to have them stripped and beaten publicly and then thrown into jail. Everything just took an ugly twist. Later, they're in jail later that day, and it's about midnight, and they're shackled in an inner room in a dungeon in Philippi, and at midnight, we find Paul and Silas singing praises to God, which is kind of freaking out the whole prison, because they've never heard anything like this. These guys beaten, thrown in jail, they're singing out praises to God, everybody's tuned in. 
about this time, an earthquake hits and all the cell doors are jarred open. Their shackles are released. So all of a sudden, jailbreak time. I mean, everything's open. The jailer catches that all the, this quake has opened up all the cells. And he realizes, whoa, jailbreak. So he gets ready to commit suicide because he's responsible for every prisoner. And he'd rather kill himself than face what the Romans will do to him for losing all the prisoners. So he's about to end his life, Harry Carey. And just before he kills himself, Paul senses that, cries out from, from inside the jail, stop, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. This rocks the jailer's world more than the earthquake and the praises. He kind of freaks, he comes to Paul and Silas and he says, I want what you have. I want to know about your God, I want to become a follower too. Paul and Silas share the gospel with this jailer guy, and he becomes a believer. He takes him to his house. People in his household become believers. They end up doing a late night or early morning baptism, and then the jailer starts ministering to Paul and Silas, bandaging their wounds that they had gotten from the beating yesterday, and also giving them food and, and taking care of them. In the meantime, morning comes... The authorities in Philippi decide, you know what, we kind of really showed those guys. Now they've kind of, we've left them in jail for a night to think about it. We're going to let them go. So they send the police to go tell the jailer, you can let these two guys go. So a policeman shows up at the jailer's house right next to the jail and says, hey, those two guys, you can let them go. They're, they're free to leave. The jailer then tells Paul and Silas, hey, you guys... Kadidi on out of here, everything's good. You know, you're okay, you're free. And then Paul says, not so fast. What do you mean? Not so fast. He's like, well, what's going on? Hey, we came here into this city. All of a sudden, people trumped up charges against us. They stripped us in public, gave us a beating without a trial, and then threw us into prison. You know what? We're Roman citizens. You can't do that. Well, now everybody freaks. They're not really used to seeing Roman citizens, especially from the east. That's the other direction from Rome. And so they're, they're realizing, wow, we are in a hot tr big, big trouble here. And so Paul and Silas say to the, the policeman that's come to tell the jailer, why don't you go tell the authorities to come personally and make this right? So they do. The policemen go back. They tell the authorities, you know these guys that you just slammed, beat, stripped down through? They're Roman citizens. The authorities freak. You got to be kidding me. We didn't know. And so they go to the jailer's house and they beg Paul and Silas to kind of quietly leave the city and just pretend this didn't happen. Which actually, Paul and Silas eventually do after their release. They go, they kind of visit the church again. They get with the believers again at Lydia's house. And then they move on in their missionary journey. So that's kind of how the church got started in Philippi. All these different people came together. 
God draws people, all different kinds of people, to himself. And, and that's exactly what happened in Philippi. And we see that really happening the, the same way today, right? That's what's happened here at Grace Community Church. Same exact thing. We're all here. We have different backgrounds. God's brought us all together to do church. The weird thing about it is when you read history like this that's recorded in the Bible, I think because we maybe have read it so many times, we sort of sanitize it in our mind. And so we read a passage like, well, Paul and Silas, they were stripped, they were beaten, thrown in jail, and then they were singing praises. And we're, and we're thinking, you know, like that didn't hurt. We forget kind of the brutality of it. As if being beat, stripped and beaten in public wasn't a big deal. Like getting beat didn't mean that your face got smashed in and, and teeth got knocked out of your head. I mean, this is what happened to them. And they're in there. Next thing we know, at the end of the day, singing praises. Unshakable joy. That's what we see in the life of Paul. Now, when we hear this story... It kind of raises a logical question for us. If the beating was so brutal, and I'm telling you it was, well, why didn't Paul tell them he was a Roman citizen before they stripped him and beat him and threw him into prison? You ever wonder about that? Why didn't Paul speak up? Because him being a Roman citizen freaked him out. Well, that brings us to our next point. Not only does God draw us to himself, he initiates us, draws us to the point we become believers. The second thing he draws us to is God, the second way he draws us is God draws us together in a new community called church, the local church. And here's why that connects. So Paul's here in Philippi, and he realizes some people have gotten saved. Lydia, there's a good chance the slave girl became a believer. Then later, the jailer, but some other people too. And he knows that there's going to be a church here in Philippi, because there's several believers now. But they don't have the status that Paul has. Paul's a Roman citizen. Most people there aren't Roman citizens. They have a special status as a city, but not citizenship. And so Paul realizes, and he's brought them this revolutionary message that, hey, you can be right with the one true God. And when he did that, this polytheistic culture is like, okay, one true God, how? Who gets in? You know, what's, what's the bar here? Is this a racial thing? Is this an economic thing? Is this a political? I mean, who gets to each how do we know? How do we make it up into where we can get favor with God? And then Paul says, no, you're missing it. Anybody can. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. God is inviting all people to come to him through belief. In his son who died for all of our sins. And so he's basically telling them, which is con 
completely different than the first century world. He's saying, hey, there's no pecking order here. We can all come and, and we're all equal in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a successful businesswoman or a slave girl. You're equal in Christ. Now, so he's telling them this message, but how does he demonstrate that? I mean, this concept is brand new in the first century. Well, when he gets in hot water, he decides not to use his trump card, his Roman citizenship, to get him out of trouble. He, he goes ahead and allows himself to be stripped, and Silas too, and beaten and thrown into jail because he knows that's what a lot of the people in this new church in Philippi are going to have to face because they don't have citizenship. So they don't get the out-of-jail-free card. They have to just suffer the consequences because Paul knows they will face persecution. So rather than use his Roman citizenship for his own benefit... He doesn't do that, and he receives the same suffering and punishment and hardship that any of these other people, these new Christians in Philippi, will ha probably have to face. Well, if that's why he's doing it, why reveal it at the end? Well, I think when it's all said and done, when they're letting him go, he says, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, probably just to freak out the authorities so they're like, you got to watch these Christians, you can beat them and strip them and throw them in jail. And they don't tell you until later that they got the out-of-jail free card. You know, so it's like he's doing this, I believe, for them because he's establishing this community. And he says, we're all in this together. How can he demonstrate that if he uses his get-out-of-jail-free card? No strip, no beating, no jail. And he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. But they all have to do that. You see, God not only draws us to himself, God draws us together in this new community in the first century called church. And that's exactly what we're doing here today. God has drawn us to himself. And then as believers, God has drawn us together. God intends for every Christian to do church together with other believers, to do life together in in this context called church. Everything's different. We're all united in him. So now, fast forward another 10 years. So that was all happening 20 years after Christ was crucified. Now 10 years later, 30 years after Christ is crucified, he's in jail again, only this time it's in Rome. In the meantime, the Philippian church has been helping Paul spread the gospel to other cities just like he came to them. They want him to go to other cities, so they're helping to finance his work. Now he's been thrown into another prison in Rome, and he's awaiting trial. And in the meantime, the Philippians send kind of an envoy. They actually send a guy to go to Paul and minister to Paul, bring some money and help Paul in his imprisonment. That guy has some problems, gets sick and whatever. But Paul sends him back and he sends this guy back to Philippi with a letter 10 years later. And this is the letter that we're reading. And this is the letter that we're going to go through together 
as a church. And here's how it starts. Here's, here's the letter, beginning Philippians 1, 1. Are you ready? All right. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Now in this prison, Timothy's with them. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. The church there has apparently grown. They've got offices in the whole nine yards. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always offering prayer with joy. Okay, here he is. He's in prison again. Different prison. Still praying with what? Joy. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's writing this affectionate letter to them. Saying, hey, I remember you. You know, I have joy when I'm thinking about you. Mainly because of your participation in the gospel. Which means that you have come to Christ just like I have. And you're sort of in this with me is what he's saying. And again... When he's writing this letter, who's he thinking about? He's thinking about those people in Philippi that he knew. Lydia, successful businesswoman who comes to Christ. Slave girl. You know, who, who knows what her life was like? You know, she, she was either you know, abandoned by her parents if, if they were living or sold into slavery by her parents, you know. So, and, and so he, he's thinking about her. The Philippian jailer, the guy who, who flips and starts ministering to them, and all the other people that he had seen come to Christ. So he's thinking about these people as he's writing a letter, and he's just overflow with joy as he does that. Think about it. That's how the church in Philippi begins. All these different people. Lydia. And then the slave girl who's like the exact opposite of Lydia. And then this jailer, you know, probably some macho ex-military type who knows how to handle thugs kind of a guy. Completely opposite of both of them. That's the beginning of the church. All these different people that God has drawn to himself and he has drawn them together to do life together in community. Different people, different backgrounds, and they couldn't be more different, and the gospel just blows through all that and impacts their heart. And God draws them to him and draws them to each other at church. And it reminds us that there's no one, no one in our community, no one on this planet that is outside of God's power to save. Now, sometimes, you know, we, we look at people and we think, yeah, yeah, I can invite them to church. They would never come. Never. They, they just wouldn't. I, I don't know if I've told this story before. I, I remember one time I'm, I was standing in a shop years ago. I was waiting for some, some stuff to get done. And I'm looking at these men, and they are just working. And they're men's men. They're turning it out, and the words are flying. And You know, I couldn't even imagine a woman standing in the place. And I'm looking at this one guy, and I'm thinking, 
we need to be reaching guys like him. He seemed to me like the least likely guy in Sandusky County to come to Grace Community Church. Literally. I mean, hands down. And I'm standing there, nobody knows this, but I'm praying, well, God, everybody needs Jesus, even that guy. How are we going to get that guy? About a year later, that guy shows up in church. Boom. A friend of his invited him to church. He knew I was a pastor. After that, I go to this place, same place. It's completely different. Hey, this is my pastor. Hey, this is Kevin. Hey, come in here. Let me meet me. Yeah, it's, like, it's just weird. God has transformed his life. He's impacted a bunch of people. He came to church on a stretch for an entire year, I think, without missing a Sunday. Without missing one Sunday. God wants to share the gospel with everybody. That's what we have a kind of a purpose statement here at Grace. It sounds something like this. First, why do we exist as church? And we got this from scripture, you know, just put in our own words. Why do we exist as Grace? First, to point people to Jesus. To point people to Jesus. And then, once they become believers, to point them to relationships in his church, that's church family mixing together, instruction in his word, that's coming together to learn more about God, service in his ministry, that God has, his intention is that all of us as believers not just come together and rub shoulders, but that we do ministry together. We, we do it on our own, we share the gospel, but we come together corporately to do ministry, service in his ministry, and then fourth, evangelism in his world. Starts and ends with evangelism. That, that's what Grace Community Church is all about. God draws people to himself, and then God draws us as believers to each other in his new community called church. Now, that's us, that grace. The third way that God draws us is this way. God draws us to continued growth in our faith as, we, as he leads us to make new priorities in our life. You see, God initiates our salvation, and we're going to read here in a minute that he also keeps us in our salvation. He sustains us. We're eternally secure in knowing what Christ has done for us. Let's look at this next passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, that's salvation, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, Paul's saying, he gets it. It's God who initiates salvation. He who began a good work, salvation, will perfect it, he's saying, until the day of Christ Jesus. That he will keep us, he will mature us. Verse 7, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel... 
you all are partakers of grace with me. He's talking about their partnership that they've given him over the last 10 years. For God is my witness how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you hear how he's writing them? Why? Because he knows them. We talked about that. Because he feels for them. Did you see Holly here a while ago in the service? And as she started talking about that little boy, you see her like tearing up. Real emotions. Somebody that she knows, that she's met, that she, she wants to impact for Christ. When Paul talks about their perfection, he's talking about that he knows God's going to keep them. But Paul's confidence in their salvation is more than just a theological kind of a knowledge thing. He's confident of their salvation because of what he's been talking about, their partnership with him and the gospel. They've been living out their Christianity. They've been sacrificing. They've been partnering with him to reach other people. That's how he's confident of their salvation because he sees this. He sees Christianity showing up in their day-to-day, Monday through Saturday kind of a life. He sees all that. That's how he's confident. And he's talking about how God changes us and, and gives us New priorities. We live a different way. Here, here's how he continues in verse 7. I'm sorry, in, in verse 9. He says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. You see, for Paul... Love by itself isn't it. He's saying, as your love abounds more and more in knowledge and discernment, and it's not just knowledge, it's love and knowledge of God, and discernment is putting that knowledge into practice in our life. Why? So that we will grow, that we'll become blameless, you know, that we can approve the things that are excellent as we make choices in our life. That will be found sincere and blameless. I think like a lot of us, you know, sometimes vacation time, if you do the family thing, you know, I spend some time reflecting on legacy and family and history and down through the family line and what happens. And, and we all have that going on. And I'm just struck again as we look back to our grandparents and great-grandparents, you know, it's not the land. It's not, that's not the, the important thing. It's, it's not the money that we might be able to, you know, some of us might inherit or, or not inherit, if that's how it is in your family. It's not about kind of keeping your family identity so much. Life is about using all your influence to point people to Jesus. Because that's the only thing that lasts. It's the only thing that really matters. It's the only thing that's eternal. It's the only thing that we can be sure of. Land comes and goes. Money, 
disappears like the wind. It's just Jesus. It's the only thing eternal to point people to him. That's what it's all about. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, you know, knowledge and discernment so that we can approve what is excellent, so that we can apply that and be sincere and blameless in our life. That's what he's talking about. That's the responsibility he's given us. Now, as believers, not everyone here is a believer. And if you're not, please don't leave here without knowing that putting your trust in Christ is the most important decision that you could ever make in your life. And and if you want to talk to somebody about that or ask a few questions, we do that all the time. You can do that as we leave right here at room one. It's on the left-hand side through the double doors. We're, We're right there. Pastors will be there. We'll be happy to talk to you. If you don't want to talk to anybody but you're kind of interested, you can just walk in the room and say, hey, could you give me something to read and walk right out. We'll just hand you a little booklet just so you can start that journey or or further those steps to God. Most important decision you can ever make. Let's stand together and close in prayer. Father in heaven, we we thank you uh, for your goodness uh, to us as, as we don't deserve anything. And you have given us by grace. We're no better than anybody, but you've given us by your grace salvation just because we've placed our faith in Christ. And that didn't even, wasn't all about us. You helped us do that. We've got nothing. And we have everything through your son, Jesus. And Father, we pray that we would help our friends and family who are here who have not taken that step uh, to see the richness and value of knowing you, the only eternal, perfect thing in this life that we could come across. And Father, help us to be effective as a church that as you've drawn us to yourself, that you would draw us together and help us as we study about you and mature our faith and reach other people. And thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving us purpose in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.